Christians, what they think about the kingdom of God, it might be a little different answer. And that has been true throughout all of time since the very beginning. So I want us to kind of go back to the very beginning and think about what the kingdom of God means to different people in different times. For example, if we go back to the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve, we see that to them, they were actually told by God to rule over creation, to reign and to rule with God, to take part in his kingdom and his ruling and his reigning. So that's what it meant with them. But of course, whenever sin entered in, things did change. And whenever things did change, that rule and that reign was not quite the same as what it was before. But there were certain individuals who still had that type of relationship with God and who still wanted the, the same type of relationship that Adam and Eve could have had uh, with God. Uh, whenever we get to like the people of Abraham, of Isaac and, and Jacob, they were what's called nomads. So, you know, they didn't have any physical land location, but they were awaiting that land. They were given a promised land and they were holding on to those promises. 
but they were still celebrating the kingdom of God. And for them, the kingdom of God, it, it meant being with him and him being with them. As we fast forward during the days of Moses, they were traveling to set up the, the physical kingdom of God, you know, to inherit that promised land. So they were thinking about that. And eventually, whenever they got into the land, they wanted to become like the other kingdoms around, like the other nations around them. And so they established their own kings, their own earthly kings, not just God being their king, but now these earthly kings as well. And we get the, the wonderful kings of David and then also Solomon. And we see that, that their own physical kingdoms in Israel, that was kind of the height of the nation of Israel, at least physically speaking. And eventually, whenever they were, they were brought in and, and after even the reign of, of David and Solomon, then people started to turn their backs on God. Whenever they turned away from, from God and didn't want him to be their king at all, then we find out that God eventually took away that land from them, or rather took the people out of the land. And then after those, those kings of Israel were done away with, then the nation of Israel was waiting for restoration. They were waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And that's the type of thinking that we see in the New Testament whenever people think about Jesus being the king and coming and bringing his kingdom with power. What was that going to look like? Well, we've kind of noticed some of those, those expectations, but let's also see the reality of this kingdom of God. To this, I want to turn to the, a passage in the book of Daniel. In, in Daniel chapter 2, this is where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that has to do with all these different nations that are going to come after him. And these are the nations who are going to be the ones who are in charge. But an interesting part about that dream, in Daniel 2 and verse 34, we find out that there's this rock that was cut out not by human hands. And then that rock, it actually crushed those other nations. And in verse 35, we find out that that rock that struck the statue, it became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. What was that dream talking about? Well, if you fast forward a little bit to some of the interpretation of this dream, you get in verses 45, I'm sorry, verses 44 and 45, that in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. This was fueling the expectations of what people wanted for this kingdom of God and what it was going to look like to come. We also see that, that that's what, in verse 45, that that rock that was cut out of the mountain, that's what it represents. It represents the kingdom of God that is going to come and is going to, to, to crush all of those other nations before it that were the, the, the world powers. And it itself was going to go throughout the entire world. That's what they were thinking about, this kingdom of God. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, the message that he was proclaiming about the kingdom of God was a little bit different than what they were perhaps expecting at this time. And that's why whenever we see Jesus speaking about this, you know, he, he actually has a passage in which he speaks about rocks and the kingdom of God. It's very similar language of what we see here in Daniel 2. And that comes to us in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 20, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So in this passage right here, he's talking about a rock. And he, he relates this rock, and, and he's also talking about keys of the kingdom of heaven. Talking about the kingdom of God once again. But he, he mentions that this rock, he's going to build his church. Which, by the way, we see in, in numerous passages. And we're not going to get into this in this lesson necessarily. But part of the way that, that God's kingdom is revealed to us during our day is through the church. You know, we almost kind of see those terms being used a little bit interchangeably almost. And I think it's it's very good for us whenever we think about the church to think about it as being, you know, the kingdom of God. That's kind of the, the physical part that we see here on this earth. He says that he's going to build his church on this rock, on this statement of faith that he is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And he came here to establish his church. He's going to give Peter and these others a special type of, uh, of authority, special type of power that has to do with this kingdom. But now, this is not the first time that Jesus has spoke about the kingdom of heaven or, or the kingdom of God. In fact, if we look at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, the first record of Jesus' preaching, we see in Matthew chapter 4, he is talking about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, verse 17, we read that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And there's another famous time that Jesus spoke about this kingdom. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever he was telling his disciples how to pray, he said in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, I happen to believe this is a wonderful commentary of what the kingdom of God is like. Because whenever God's kingdom comes, then what's going to happen is that God's will is going to be done on this earth just as it is in heaven. And I want you to think about what that would look like. Think about what it would look like if, if God's will would truly be done here on this earth just as it is in heaven. It's a beautiful sight. It's a wonderful thing to think about. And sometimes this kingdom of God... It is a little difficult because, you know, to us, we might think about kingdom in the, the physical sense. And so many times those, those other passages that I was telling you about, once the Israelites inherited the promised land, they started associating with the kingdom of God, with the physical land of Israel. And yeah, that was part of the promise, but it wasn't supposed to be the, the end of the road. There was more to still travel. There was more that it was leading up to. This kingdom of God is not so much about the physical nature of things. In fact, it's supposed to expand just like what Daniel, uh, what we read in Daniel, is it's supposed to expand throughout the entire world. And so Jesus also makes statements like this in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So Jesus says right here that it's not something that can be observed. Going back to this prayer that he prayed, what would it look like for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven? 
not something that you can just look at and say, oh, well, this is, this is the exact time and this is the exact location of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. You know, we might think about that with this term, this English term that we get for kingdom. But whenever you start looking at the actual Greek word that's used for kingdom, it can mean much more than that. And, and I think that sometimes when we use the term kingdom, uh, you know, not that I'm trying to, to get us to not use that term. I just want us to expand what that term means for us. Because in the Greek, the term kingdom, it doesn't just have to do with a physical location, but it also has to do with like the reign. So this would be like the reign or the rule of God. When we start thinking about that, we understand how it can be something that you won't really be able to observe. So if the kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, if it is not something that can be observed, then how do we see it? Well, Jesus also told us a little bit about that. In John's gospel, in John chapter 3, this conversation that he has with Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus some very interesting things about this kingdom of God. John 3 verses 5 through 8 Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus here relates these these people of the kingdom of God and being able to enter into the kingdom of God as those who are born of water and spirit. Guess what? Whenever we are people who are born of the spirit, we're going to be people that, that are related to like the wind. Because the wind, you can look out and you can't really see the wind. You can simply see the effects of it. So the kingdom of God, in, in many ways, it's kind of like that. It's something that you can't really observe the kingdom itself, but you can, I believe at least, observe the effects of it just like with the wind is talked about here and how th this is how everybody who's born of the spirit is described so it's not something that can be observed it's something that that uh, can still be experienced though and i think it should be experienced by us and we need to understand the importance of entering into this kingdom of god being a part of what god is doing right here and right now on the earth and we see that as jesus was was alive himself you know, he lived and he, he preached so much about the kingdom of God. I, I think it's kind of interesting that we don't kind of talk more about this kingdom because it seemed to be one of the main things that Jesus spoke about. But even at Jesus's death, people were still waiting for this kingdom and they weren't understanding, okay, how is this kingdom going to come? He already told them it's not something that's going to be observed. But after Jesus dies on the cross, and even after he's raised up from the dead, his disciples are still wondering, what about this kingdom? So in Acts 1 verse 6, we read about the disciples gathering around Jesus. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The expectations of these disciples, they were thinking about this kingdom of God, but they were, they were looking at it. I mean, look, it says, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were expecting like so many Jews of their day, for God to come in and to restore the kingdom, to restore the rule and the reign to Israel. But what God was doing was so much bigger than just one nation. The, the nation of Israel served a wonderful part in history and it served a wonderful purpose, but it was leading forward to something even greater that Jesus Christ was going to usher in. So this kingdom 
is not the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of God. It goes beyond the borders of Israel. Now, so much of this stuff started in Israel. It started in Jerusalem, but it quickly expanded the borders. That's why we get in several different passages in the New Testament an expanded view of what the kingdom is. It goes beyond these borders. In fact, the Apostle Paul says these things about it. In Romans 14, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So it's not these physical things at all. What it is, is it's things like righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is how we can be pleasing to God. This is how we can serve our God. And we also see that, that the kingdom is not something that we just need to expect, something just that's going to happen in the future. No, I think that we've seen from uh, you know these different examples that the kingdom of God goes back to the very beginning, but there's... There's different ways in which humans have interacted with this kingdom. And that's why, yes, he's, he's talking here, the Apostle Paul is talking about this kingdom of God. He says it's not about these physical things, but it is about these, these other things that come in the Holy Spirit. But the Apostle Paul can also write about the kingdom as something that, that we are already a part of and that we're already within, right here and right now in this life. Not something in the future, but something right here, right now. That's why in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, For he, that is Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is talking about how God has rescued us and how he's brought us into this kingdom, this kingdom of his Son. Now, it doesn't say that he's going to bring us into it. It says that he has brought us into it. And this kingdom of the Son, whenever we are a part of this kingdom, whenever we are a part of the rule and the reign of God, this is where we find redemption. This is where we find forgiveness of sins. This is why when Jesus was here on this earth, he told us once again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The kingdom's not about these physical things. It's about his righteousness, about his love, about the, what the Holy Spirit has been doing and is continuing to do in our day. We are called to seek first this kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God, I want to end on one final note. The kingdom of God, we experience it right here, right now. We can enter into this kingdom right here, right now by being born again, like that conversation from John 3 that Jesus had with Nicodemus, that we need to be born of water and spirit. We need to follow God. We need to seek first his kingdom. But you know, there's another interesting thing about the kingdom of God, and that is there is a future hope that we have to look forward to. That's why, once again, the apostle Paul, he can write about the kingdom like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is the, the last known writing of the Apostle Paul, at least the, the last recorded writing of the Apostle Paul. He knew that his time on this earth was going to be cut you know, short very soon. And he knew that his life was going to end in this, in this life. And he wrote this about the kingdom. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the kingdom of God, the expectation versus the reality of it, it was different. People might have been expecting during the days of Jesus for him to rule and reign on a physical throne, but the throne of Jesus is a heavenly one. The thinking of Jesus is a heavenly thinking. So I think that we need to, to just like in that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we need to pray that God's kingdom would come. But with that, that, that means that his will would be done here on this earth, just as it is in heaven. And that means that we need to be doing things here in this life, that we need to be living as people who are part of this kingdom and who are doing the will of God right here and right now. But this passage and others as well, talk about a future hope of this kingdom, a future kind of power and a future way that we will relate with the kingdom of God that is, is so wonderful. And it's part of the hope, it's part of the promises that we have. The Apostle Paul, he said that the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will deliver me safely to his heavenly kingdom. We can have that same hope that the Lord will be with us and that he will rescue us. He will save us no matter what might come our way. We also can have that hope that he will bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. The reality of this kingdom of God is different than maybe what people have expected in times past. Let's make sure that, that we, we match our expectations with the reality of this kingdom. Let's make sure that we live as people who are a part of this kingdom and who will be brought safely into this kingdom, not just in this life, but in the life that is to come as well. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Serving from within, speak of heaven, live in sin. A great change must take place in my mind. Christ will Shall reign. He shall reign.